there are a lot of a lot of dating happening these days, apparently. I don't know if you noticed. There's a, a show on TV where it, it follows people uh, in their dating lives. They're looking for love, is what they say. Uh, I hope they find it. I mean, hopefully we all find love. Uh, it doesn't have to be romantic, but it reminds me of that we hopefully want marriage, you know, if we're looking for love, you know, a certain type of love, certain kind of connection, we want marriage. Uh, there's, there's an importance to marriage. There's a level of commitment and in, in till death do us part type of thing happening when it comes to marriage. It is to be embraced. And I like to remind people that uh, you, you don't fully appreciate marriage until you respect its privileges. There's some things you may not want to do, and that's fine uh, when it comes to the romantic engagement that you have. But there is a context where that belongs, and God wants that to be the case. He wants that to, to exist. He wants that marriage, that covenant relationship that you have with your spouse. Now, if you don't want that relationship, that's fine, but please respect its privileges. That's what I'm asking. And I can point to several passages that talk about that. However, let's talk about looking for love. Love, it's not some mere emotion that you have. It's, it's, a, it's when you are pursuing the betterment of someone. Sometimes you love yourself or you want the best for you, but you have to have, you want the best for other people as well. And when it comes to love, love is not merely romantic. There are times where you love someone and you have no romantic connection to them. Love is not merely romantic. Sometimes we are looking for love. We're looking to just date, court. We want that interaction that, that, that makes us feel a little bubbly inside. A little dopamine hit, you know. I, I just want to encourage us to pursue that. Uh, in, in the context of marriage, and when, because we, we want marriage, not just the, the dopamine. You know, that we want the covenant. Like, don't you want to, to love someone or be loved by someone who's actually going to stay there until they die? Like, that, that, that makes way more sense to me, at least, at least as I'm thinking about it through a biblical lens. You want the covenant relationship that comes with knowing that this person is going to be here till they die. Of course, you can die first. It's up to you. You choose. Uh, but there's a, there's a lifelong engagement here that comes with this. You know who else is looking for love? Jesus wants us to love to the point where we are committed to him. Not just sometimey, not seasonal. He wants us to love him because he first loved us and gave up his life. He wants us to love. The, the passage that we're looking at today has nothing to do with marriage or romance. But I do want to remind you of the idea that there's a covenant relationship that we are to pursue with Christ. And with that, we cannot be 
sometimey, seasonal. The words that we are going to look at today in Luke, they remind me a little bit of First John because they're so direct. It may be tempting to put Jesus in a place where he just gives some, some advice that you can follow or not, some things that are very like, oh, okay, you know, I could consider this, put this, you know, into practice at some point. It's just that when he speaks, he speaks with a level of authority and just decisiveness, as if he wants a committed relationship, that, that he's calling us to be committed to him. Luke is, a, is, a, is one of Paul's physicians, and uh, he, he writes here, having done his research. As a matter of fact, uh, chapter 9, there are a lot of very key things happening in the chapter alone. If you look at chapter 9, uh, you can see in the beginning of the chapter, the verses talk about how he starts to, to call the 12 disciples. Talking about just take nothing for your journey, just, just follow me. And that's in verse 1. You can see that. Look at verse 12. Uh, the, there, was the, the, there was the 12 that came and they said, send this crowd away. There was a crowd that gathered that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And guess what? He feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children. Five, feeding the 5,000. Verse 28. Look at verse 28. Uh, some eight days after these sayings, some sayings that he, he had given, he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray in verse 29. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. This is what we call the transfiguration of Christ. There are a lot of amazing things happening in this chapter. There's an argument in verse 46 that started. Look, verse 46, an argument started among them, this is the disciples, as to which of them might be the greatest. There are a lot of interesting interactions, engagements, and conversations happening in this chapter alone, and yet at the very end of the chapter, we are focusing on some very direct words of Christ. He's talking about discipleship. Discipleship. According to verse 56, he's going to a village. He's on his way to a village. And as he's on his way to the village, this next village, he is in, intent on getting to Jerusalem. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. You can see that in verse 51. Look, verse 51, when the days were approaching for his ascension to rise and to ascend into heaven, he, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. He's trying, he wants to get to Jerusalem, and he gets there eventually in chapter 19, verse 28. We see, that we, we see this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We see this, this grand celebration. This is amazing. Before he gets there, he's going to a village. And it's interesting that he's getting ready, even after he, he gets through our passage today, we see, and this is just like a, a spoiler alert, uh, there, there are 70 other people that get commissioned in the next chapter. And they go and, and do ministry, go on missions work, and then they come back with joy. I'm going to let you read on 
for yourself. But in the passage that we'll look at today in verses 57 to 62, it corresponds a little bit with Matthew 8. We'll see some correlation with Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 21. But in Luke 9, it's interesting to see this, this conversation that Jesus is having, this three conversations that he has regarding discipleship. And in light of the commitment that we are to have, I want to notice some of these things that he he brings up. And I want to challenge some of the notions that we may have that it is okay to to, to dedicate our our lives to Jesus seasonally. I want to challenge some of that. I want to challenge the notion that uh, 2 Timothy 3, 7 warns about where he talks about how some people are always learning but never come into the full knowledge of truth. But they just simply ask questions, but they don't actually get answers. I want, we want answers today. He's going to say some things, and we need to make sure that we understand them. I also want to challenge the person who's just looking for love. That's it. Just a feeling. You're going to keep chasing the feeling. I'm going to argue that you want commitment. You need commitment, and you need to be committed to Christ. That's my argument. That needs to be a lifelong endeavor. I need you to be faithful to him, loving and caring, concerned about who Jesus is and what he wants for your life. I need that. I need you to need that. So we're going to talk about discipleship. Jesus talks about discipleship in certain particular ways. And I want to look at some characteristics, some aspects, three aspects of discipleship that help us better commit to Jesus himself. As the title says, We need to choose discipleship or nothing. Discipleship. In verses 57 and 58, we're going to look at resourceful forethought. Resourceful forethought that goes into discipleship. In verses 59 through 60, we'll look at an urgent message that we need to bring with us. In verses 61 to 62, we need to look at the diligent service that we need to employ with this message of the gospel. So let's read. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That's one conversation. The first one. Here they're going along the road. We already understand that. Someone has the nerve to shout this out. And it sounds very zealous. I think this is something that is important to recognize that we can commend a certain level of zeal to follow Jesus. Some of us here have had that zeal. We know someone. Just that zeal doesn't carry us through the finish line always. You know, you know somebody who had the zeal and then they no longer have Christ. You, you know those. You, sadly, we know those people. You can, you can read a little bit of a, of a Hebrew 6 to learn more about them. But here we, we want to understand that this person, according to Matthew 8, is a scribe. Mm. That brings a little bit of light to this. This scribe, according to Matthew 8, uh, we, we, we've seen Jesus interact with scribes before. 
in, in different sections. Uh, we've seen him, seen scribes challenge Jesus uh, when it comes to why his disciples didn't follow the traditions of washing their hands when they eat. You know, Matthew 15. Uh, even Jesus even foretold of his death and mentioned how there were scribes and elders and chief priests that were going to give him a hard time. Scribes are not necessarily the people that, that come to him on a regular basis and say, yeah, I want to follow you. I will follow you. That's not them. That's not what they usually do. That's not the group. They're not the, these, are, these are people who should know the law, but somehow are doing wrong by Christ. The law is supposed to tutor people to recognize who Christ is. And these scribes should know the law well enough to see Christ and embrace him and follow him like this scribe is saying. Interestingly enough, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. These are some great words. These are the words, if I, if I could just focus in on this and I take out of context, Follow Jesus wherever he goes. If he says, I'm going over to Rouse, you go to Rouse with him. Hey, if he, if he getting up out of bed, you better get out of bed too. There's a saying that says, if God tells you to, if you're in a boat and God tells you to get out of the boat, the most dangerous place to be is in that boat. If he tells you, hey, I'm going over here, you might want to follow. I could easily go that direction and then, oh man, I'm telling you. It's just that Jesus has a way of of calming us down a little bit. Uh, I mean, this idea of following is, is important. Like, this, this is not actually something to overlook. Uh, it's important to follow Christ. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's important. Like, he's, we, we are to, according to Matthew 8, take up our cross, Jesus says, and that content, he says, and follow me. Like, follow after me, and, and if you don't do that, you're not even worthy of me. So these are some important words. He's saying, I, I will follow you wherever you go. This is exactly the type of following that Jesus wanted. But he has these words. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes. Now, you know what a hole is. I don't have to. If I were to ask you what's in a hole, you might say nothing. I might say air, just a little trick you up, you know. But a hole, foxes, they dig holes sometimes. And as a matter of fact, they, they, they dig burrows. And sometimes they actually dig holes for food. They'll eat grubs and earthworms. And sometimes in their own burrows, they'll set aside a little space for the food. Because so, sometimes they'll store food in their burrow. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. See, the, the word for nest is just a dwelling place. In this case, uh, it's, it's a place we know that the, the birds have nests. We know, we understand that birds, their dwelling place is nests. So they have dwelling places. As a matter of fact, I, I think it's fascinating just to, because in my head I'm thinking dwelling places. Okay, this is a, this is a noun. Uh, this, there's, a, there's a verb point, the verb, verb form that means to basically to dwell, to, to, to reside. Uh, it reminds me of uh, John 1, 14, where, where Christ dwelt among us, where he talks about Jesus dwelt among us, as if, as if he pitched his tent to live with us. It's amazing. Um, those are, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting distinction to make between the word in, 
that, that particular word in John 1 and this word here. But it's, it's interesting to note just how uh, birds have nests. Uh, there, there's a sense of a fox have holes. But then Jesus says this, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There's, there's, a, there's a place for these animals. And Jesus actually is referring to himself when he says Son of Man. This is one of his favorite references of himself, by the way. Favorite titles. He actually uses the phrase Son of Man 83 times in the New Testament. Son of Man refers to his deity, yes, sure. But it also refers to his everlasting glory. Son of Man is found, for example, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. You'll see the Son of Man in, his, in, his, in, in glory and humanity, yes. So just because you see the man part, do not limit the Son of Man to just simply him talking about how he's a man. This is a very special and unique man. The Son of Man, this title, is unique to him, and he only uses it to describe himself. This wonderful Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Nowhere. And you might have a problem with that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, somebody comes to you, approaches you, or you approach somebody, say, hey, you know, just think about going out with you. But he has no place to lay his head, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't have a place to stay. He's going from couch to couch currently. You might find that unattractive. That's not even something I recommend. It's not like, oh, oh, yeah, you know what? Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head either, so you might as well consider it and be really gung-ho about it. I'm, this is not the, it's not necessarily something I would say. It's a different context. <laughs> Here, Jesus is like, I, I, don't, I don't just go and I, I have people just open their doors for me because I already pre-planned this. This is not a pre-planned vacation. This is a, a journey. That's going to take some time, and I don't know necessarily where I'm going to stay, but, or at least you don't know where we're going to stay. It has not pre-figured out. I don't have a map that says this is, these are the lodging areas, the inns, the, the, the motels, the whatever it is. This may be a turnoff for anybody. This may be a turnoff. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the, the times where you, you, you in your life, you want to go and, and, and find out how you can get a better sense of, of, of not only where you're going to live, but how many houses you can store up. We refer to that as real estate. How are you going to, how are you going to build your portfolio to include a lot of it? Because you want to have either passive income, you want to rent some, some places out, uh, you want to you know, have, have some financial security. Jesus is, is not advocating for financial security here. He's just simply saying, I don't have a place to stay. And then the question is, is having a place to stay more valuable to you than following Jesus? That's, that's, this is a very interesting thing. There's, there's no money pursuits here. This is not a financial gain situation. This is not where you get to go and travel the world, and somehow 
you're having such a fun time. There, there's, a, there's a journey here. Uh, you don't necessarily have a, a resting place that you would already figured out, but there's something to do. Now let me bring in some of the motivational speakers that you may listen to. You need to find your why. Why, why are you doing it? Why are you pursuing this money and fame and fortune? Why are you going after that real estate and that job and that dream person? Why are you, why are you pursuing love? You need to find a better why. My argument is that you, your, your why needs to be attached to God. There's, I said it earlier today in Sunday school. Some of, our, some of us need to have a, a different prayer. Instead of just simply saying, God, help me feel well. Help me feel well for you. Let me, Lord, heal my body. That's good, but heal my body so I can serve you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Lord, give me a better sense of income. That sounds important. As a matter of fact, by the way, if you read a passage like 2 Thessalonians 3, there's a warning against the people who are just simply being a burden to the church. They're, not, they're, they're busy bodies, but not actually working. There's a, there's a, there are spiritual consequences to stuff like that. So please realize that is God does uh, does prefer that you take care of things like your family. You even support and and, pl- and play your part in the church even when it comes to you working. That's great. Let's just focus though on on, on following Jesus. Some of our prayers need to make sure that Lord, I, I want a better job so I can make more money. That sounds great, but Lord, I want to make more money so I can give to your causes. Put God in there somewhere. Attach, make sure that you have considered him and how he can fit into your goals because realize, even as I say fit in, you should cringe. Fit in? Oh. If he's your why, come on. You might want to put that as your first thing. Lord, I, I want to give. I want to keep living. I don't want to be disqualified from the race because I died because I couldn't eat. I want to keep going. So I do want to make sure that I'm, I'm still here so, Lord, take care of me. I want to have enough to, to live off of, and I want to make sure that I can give to some great causes. For you. Oh, come on. This is, this is, this is the, the person who, who goes up and, uh, to a person and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you know, getting to know you a little bit more. Maybe we can go out. And yet they have, they, 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 in this case, actually, this is the person who actually comes up to you and says, hey, I want to, I want to be with you. And you, you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot. I don't really have many things. I don't have a lot going for me. Um, but I, I, know, I, know, I know where I'm trying to go. And I got Jesus. I'm, tr- I'm telling you. Uh, if this person has Jesus, that's, the, that's the, a great starting point. The person who has a lot of wealth and know Jesus... The, the why the, is, is not important enough. It's the, Jesus, God, uh, the, the, the one who has called us out of darkness into light, the one who has uh, created all created things, uh, we need him as our, our reasons. We need him as our reason. We need him as our reason. And so we act in regards to who he is and what he has done because he is our reason for doing anything. We need to make sure that he is our reason. And that's what it looks like for, to be a disciple with the right goal in mind, to follow him, to serve him, to please him, to glorify him. We need to put him on the pedestal. And whatever things you do, 
reroute those activities to make sure that God has a primary place in your plans. Oh, there's another verse. I just want to get to that. Uh, Look at uh, verses 59 and 60. We're going to look at this urgent message. I'm going to look at this urgent message. 59. And he said to another, follow me. Wait. The other person came to Jesus. You remember that? He said, hey, yeah. I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now Jesus points out somebody says, follow me. You see the, the change. It's different. It's different. There's a zealous person saying, I'm going to follow you wherever. Jesus points out a particular person and says, follow me. This is a different person. Another. Follow me. Remember, this is the same idea that the first person came to him with. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus turned to somebody else, follow me. It's, Jesus didn't want the following. He does want it. That's why he, he told this person, follow me. So the problem is not following Jesus. That's exactly what he expects. Follow me. But he said, this is the person who Jesus is talking to. If somebody comes to you and say, Hey, I want to be with you. Look, notice what Jesus says. Notice what the person says. Jesus says, follow me. The person says, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Acknowledges him as Lord. We know that, that Lord refers to, is, is giving him the credit as the ruler, the one who has authority over your life. One who gets to make decisions for you sometimes. That he even, he even gets to direct you. Like his will is way more important than yours. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now this is a very honorable thing. You think though, I'm going to respect my father. Now you may think that the father is dead, but in, in this context, he actually may still be alive. It's just a saying that people have these days or at this time where you actually say, well, I want to bury my father so that when he dies, I can get the inheritance and then I'll come follow you at that point. And some of you can connect to this because maybe your parent has died. And you received inheritance. Inheritance is biblical. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 1, 13 talks about how we have the Holy Spirit. And verse 14 talks about it's, he's a pledge so that we can receive the inheritance. Inheritance is very biblical. It's just that our inheritance is very spiritual. Our inheritance comes from God. And it's not merely a, a, a physical thing. Inheritance, even in the physical matter, is not also bad. It's not. Proverbs 13, 22. It talks about how a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And even so, it continues. It says, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Mm. Inheritance. Is the, notice, that person who does that, who, who actually who has the inheritance for his children's children, he's qualified as a good man. Inheritance is not bad. And Jesus here is not talking to the father and saying, you better not give him no inheritance. That's not who he's not even talking to the father. He's talking to the son. 
The son is saying, I want to wait till my father dies and get that inheritance. He's talking to the son. And then Jesus responds. Verse 60, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God, the dead. Physically dead people don't bury other dead people. They're physically dead. Uh, you may think of yourself, you know, as pre- before Christ, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1, we were formerly, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And those are the people who need to just go ahead and, and bury the dead. They're the people who, uh, those people who are spiritually dead need to be the ones left to the task of burying other people. In this context, Jesus is saying, those people who are spiritually dead, let them do the work of burying. But as for you, you person who I'm talking to, this, this, this is what Jesus, Jesus is talking to this person, the person who he chose. Remember, he went up to them. He said, you follow me. And then he said, oh, well, I got to go bury my father. Uh, it might take a while. Jesus says, as for you, go and proclaim everywhere. Notice the juxtaposition. There's a, I got to wait. I want to wait. So I, I can bury my dad. So I get this inheritance. Jesus says, go. As in, <laughs> now, and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. This is a proclamation of this this. This kingdom of God. The, the kingdom is not meant just for mere dead people, spiritually dead people. It's for people who, uh, have, who have committed themselves to the Lord in faith, by grace, through faith, to Christ. They commit themselves to Christ. And in this kingdom, you have at least a few things. One, you have a king. You have a dumb no, 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 you don't have a dumb. You have an a, a actual place that the king rules over, and you have subjects. Interestingly enough, then, if you have a king who's in charge, you can't just do whatever you want in his kingdom. You got to do what he wants. And if he didn't have a place to rule over, then it's like, hey, what are we doing? It's like, you're in the wilderness with Moses? And if you never had a king, how can you even say that you're in the kingdom? A king, a place to rule over, you need subjects. The kingdom of God, with God as the king. That reality, that's a, real, that's a reality. That's, that's something to proclaim everywhere. That message needs to go forth everywhere. It might remind you of uh, Matthew 28, with the Great Commission, or maybe Acts 1, verse 8, where it references how the disciples are supposed to go to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. To the ends of the world. Everywhere. Even at the same time. Wherever you can. It would be amazing and so sad if, if, they, if they didn't go to the remotest part of the earth because they said, oh, I got to get Jerusalem fixed first. And they never reached anywhere else. That's not what they did. They said, okay, you, you, Jerusalem, okay, we're going to have to... We'll deal something with Jerusalem. Let's go over here and let's keep going over there. They're there, they're there, they're there, they're there. That's where the gospel needs to go. 
And we can't just wait to say, okay, well, I'm going to wait till my dad dies so I can get my inheritance. And, and think about this. There's, a, there's a, a comment that I think is very important to note. Sometimes when you get that inheritance, there are a lot of other things to do. Some of you know, like when somebody dies, it's like, do they have their affairs in order? Whatever, whatever that means. Um, maybe not. <laughs> maybe they have enough of just one thing, and they only have a burial policy, and you are ever able to bury them, but then the spouse has to still live somehow. What are they going to do? Somebody thought that life insurance is only supposed to be for a burial policy, just to bury them. And then forgot that the spouse who's been living off of, of the, the finances and, and the, the efforts of the, the other one, the one who died, is now going to be without that person's income for several decades because they committed their lives to that person. Here, in this context, the gospel of the kingdom of God needs to be proclaimed everywhere. And Jesus wants that person to let dead, spiritually dead people bury dead people. He wants that business, the business of burying dead people, to go to the spiritually dead. And there's, in particular, when it comes down to somebody dying, let them do it. Let them deal with the dead people. You need to make sure that people, dead people come back to life. You need to make sure that they come to life with the gospel of the good news. That's what you need to do as a disciple. Jesus is, is in that business. Jesus is in the business of making sure that people are alive. Think about you going up to somebody, you say, hey, I want to be with you. And you say, yeah, but first let me wait till my parents die. And then, you know, I get inheritance and then we'll be all set because we won't be struggling for money. Um, I'll be in a better financial position. Uh, maybe I'll be more desirable at that point uh, because I, money, money, you know, is important. And then you say, I might be dead by then, too. Uh, some, some, things, some things are not necessarily the best. It's not good to wait. It's not good to just wait on the perfect circumstance. Sometimes, especially in marriage, you need to make the perfect circumstance come together by just simply saying, yeah, I do. You right for me. I'm right for you. Let's go. Some, 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 we gotta, sometimes we got to dare to love. We got to dare. Like, you know what I'm saying? We got to dare. You might think that this is contradictory to the earlier point. Oh, no. I, yeah, sure. You may not, it may not be recommended that you go and be with a person who has no money, no place to stay, uh, broke, poor. Uh, you know what I'm saying? All the synonyms. Uh, but then there's also this sense that there, there's, there's a, a certain match. And sometimes waiting 3, 5, 10, 12 years just to get married to somebody who you already is a match... There's no point in shacking. What are, what are you going to do? Do some other sins? Oh, no. The gospel needs to be preached here. The gospel, the good news. Talk about Jesus. Talk about how he's the Lord of everybody's life. Uh, can you talk about that? Can you talk about that with the person who's trying to get with you? Or you trying to get with? If not, let me tell you my recommendation. Stop. Stop. Not worth it. Just not worth it. Even so, you got other things to do. You got other things, to, people to talk to about Jesus. I mean, there's a reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 7. I'll let you read it. But he talks about how, you know, you might want to be single. 
for the sake of Christ. It might happen. Some of you may not have the desire. Go serve the Lord and keep on at it. Because when you get married, sometimes you got those obligations and it just come with some things that you just can't do. You don't have the same freedoms. You are free to love that person and do whatever you can to serve them. That, that happens. But here I want you to realize that discipleship comes with you need to... Sometimes it's, it's not a matter of, wait, there's an urgent message. There's an urgent message that needs to go out. It needs to go out. Make it go out. Some of you need to text somebody right now, hey, I love you. Remember, Jesus Christ died for your sins. That would be great. Think about that. You know that person you, who you think about, you might need to just send a text right now while I'm preaching. It would be great to see. But that's not the only point that's here. We need to talk about the diligent service. Diligent service. Look at verse 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. This is another person. Another, another person coming up to Jesus. So the first person came up to him, described, I'll follow you wherever you go. The second, Jesus pointed that person out. Follow me. This third person comes out. I will follow you, Lord. Uses the key words like Lord. Oh, you, you're the Lord. I will follow. This is what you asked for, right? I'm right here. This third person says, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Slightly different from the inheritance part or the, the, the way to my father dies. I just want to say goodbye. As a matter of fact, 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Verse 20. We remember there's this guy named Elijah. And eventually, you know, you can call it depression, scared. Uh, he's, he's scared. And, he, you know, he's weak. Angels have to come and feed him. And, and God has to remind him, like, look, you're not the only person. You're not alone. I got these other people, these, this remnant, they go hard for me too. Right? So Elijah, he's, he, he gets up and it talks about how he goes and he, he comes and calls this guy named Elisha. Elisha, he throws his mantle on him. Elisha says, hey, let me go and say goodbye to my family. Elisha asked her the same thing. Let me go and, and say goodbye before you just simply commission me. We threw your mantle on me, now I gotta go. He says that, and then Elijah, Elijah actually lets him. He's like, because what have what have I done to you? I mean, Elijah's like, the calling that I just put on your life right now? Yeah, just go say goodbye. Now Elisha did go, and it came right back and then started serving. Here, you wonder if Jesus read the passage. I'm pretty sure he did. You know, he wrote it. But Jesus says, but Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. God, man. So we don't know what the reaction is for the first person. We don't know what the reaction is for the second person. We don't know what the reaction is necessarily for this third person. But we do see the words of Christ. Once you put your hands to the plow, think about the, the, the plow. Uh, if you're plowing, you're in the middle of doing the work. You plow in a field and you look back. And hey, no, no, no. <laughs> Somebody, you know, the gardener comes and they chopping off flowers and stuff like that. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I need you. Could you go like this? Okay. Turn, turn off the machine. Okay, it takes three steps back. All right, all right, all right. 
you can go home now. <laughs> uh, that, that person needs to be fired. Um, they, you should not have them on. Uh, they, they're, not, they're not ready. They're not ready. They're not ready. You get rid of them, replace them. You might need a sub in for them yourself. Uh, this person's not ready because they're going to mess things up. You can't be doing forward thinking jobs looking back. Oh, man. The, the person who has a hand of the plow and is looking back, they're not ready. They're not fit. It's not going to go well. This is a very interesting situation because, oh man, I'm not going to get in trouble, am I? All right. Uh, there are sometimes, you know how we put people in children's ministry who like the, the very, the, 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 the JV League, you know, they just got saved. You know what I'm saying? And we, we, we entrust those people with the, with the kids. I don't know why, but it's like, if they were with the adults, maybe the adults would be able to check them a lot easier than the kids were, you know? Because maybe they learn a little bit more. My point is not to do that. That's not my point. My point is, uh, we, we might be entrusting, <laughs> uh, we might need to consider the, the fit part for when it comes to service. In this case, the, the person who is, is, is looking back for a forward-looking job uh, and these, is, is not fit for the kingdom of God. They, we, need, we need people who are going to actually do the job and do it well and do it faithfully. We need, we need to keep looking forward. Now, in some cases, that means uh, you, you, you didn't get the response that you wanted in one place. You need to go to the next place as, we, as sometimes it, it comes uh, rather than just simply being depressed and saying, I can't do this anymore. Elijah. You can't, you can't always say, well, this didn't work out for me. This one conversation or my family isn't right. Uh, so I don't know how I can ever preach the gospel. No, that's not how that goes. If, 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 especially when Jesus calls you. But even if you are zealous to follow him, you, you might need to just simply do the work uh, and do it right. That may actually require you going to LABTS and get trained. Uh, and be, realize that your, your priorities need to be circle, circum, circumvented sometimes. Uh, you, you need to, to surround Christ a little bit better uh, so that you're not just he, serving here in a season and then you're gone here in another season, a, a long, a very long season you're gone. You know what I'm saying? Like the, man, I wish I had time. The, the seasons of, 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 of unfitness needs, we need to close the gaps of unfit ministry. <clears throat> there, there, are, there are ways that we, we help that. We have service like this. We have Sunday school. We have Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, when you're ready, you can serve in Awana. Uh, when you're ready, you can maybe be able to, to teach at Sunday school. When you're ready, maybe you will be an usher. Uh, there, 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 there's ministry for when you're ready. Somebody comes up to you and say, hey, I think you choose me. Like, we might be a good fit. But you notice that they are lacking in some very clear doctrinal areas. Waywardness. Little few, too few boyfriends at the moment. You might want to say, hey, this, this, it's not, it's not going to work out. I don't think you're fit. I don't think this is a good fit. You might want to say you're not a good fit. Uh, you might want to be direct, like you got all these things going on. 
I, I need you, though, uh, here, I need you to consider how fit you are and whether or not there's something holding you back from serving Christ. If there's anybody here that is not serving Christ, you're trying to do something else. Uh, this reminds me of uh, one minister, he wrote in a book, he says, if you can avoid doing ministry, then do it. The whole point to him saying that was, if you can avoid it, then maybe you're not ready. You're not, you might not be fit for it. Because you're already entangled with something else. And you should be prioritizing the ministry of the gospel. If you can avoid doing ministry, then do it. But if you know it's on your mind, if you know it's on your heart, you are compelled to serve Christ, to teach his word, to preach his word even, to, to go and tell other people about him. Oh, yeah, we can work with that. We, got, we have work to do. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Oh, man. I think I would rather have a few faithful workers than have so many unfaithful. Oh, man. They're, they're, I, I want to challenge you to consider not merely your place at the church, but more so your relationship with Christ and whether or not you are really serving him. Maybe you're going and pursuing some real estate ventures. Maybe you just want a house. Maybe you just want stock. Maybe you want a business. Maybe you want a relationship. Where's Christ? Can you see him anywhere in there? Where, 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 your, where is he as your priority? My hope is that you come here because you see Christ here. I believe he's here. Do you live like it? There's a message of the gospel, and we need to make sure that we preach it. We tell others, and we live like it, like we believe it. That Jesus Christ, being fully God and man, he died for our sins and resurrected. Your sins. Mine. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you changed your mind about sin? Have you... Do you now think that sin is bad? And have you turned for, to him, to God? He's your Lord and Savior. Let us serve like it. And let's pray. Lord, you've been good to us. We appreciate you. We need more reminders that you are our king, our holy, sovereign ruler. We appreciate you. Work, do a work in our lives, our hearts, so that we will be reminded to follow you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.